Hello and welcome to the Sam Off Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military from all branches of service and various specialties. Today, we are fortunate to have Dr. John Smith with us. Dr. John Smith is an Army emergency medicine physician who is part of a forward resuscitative team. No, John Smith is not his real name. Due to security and his current operational role, we are concealing his identity. However, he does have a medical education Instagram account that I've learned an abundant amount from. So as you can imagine, I'm personally pretty excited to hear from him, his experiences and potential operational roles in the Army as an emergency medicine physician, as well as any residency and specialty insights he may have. With that, welcome, Dr. Dr. Smith. How are you? Hi. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to come on to the podcast. I'm uh, really looking forward to this. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it since we originally talked, and I've, I've managed to snag you through Instagram. So um, <laughs> as far as your personal medical career, tell, tell us, where did you start or what what kind of drew you down the line to where you are right now? So I think everybody's got their own little kind of story about how they became a physician uh, or kind of how they were drawn to, to medicine. You know, I think mine was a little altruistic, kind of where there's kind of that piece to everything. When I was a kid, I was watching, you know, Rescue 911 uh, by William Shatner, you know, and I had Tonka toys and they were all fire trucks and ambulances, that sort of stuff. Caused my parents to get $800 in fines by uh, opening up emergency doors and wanting to see the ambulances. So I guess it's very kind of young. <laughs> uh, for, <laughs> yeah, they didn't, they didn't appreciate that. Uh, from there, I guess it just kind of grew and my, you know, I had support from my family and just kind of uh, enjoyed the sciences and went into college not knowing what I wanted to do, but uh, kind of fell into medicine. Uh, took a year off, became a EMT, uh, volunteer EMT back home and then uh, went to medical school and kind of started that, you know, that journey from there. So what made you pick emergency medicine in particular? What kind of drew you to that specialty? and what do you see as the pros and cons of the specialty in in the army? Oh, that's a that's a deep question. I mean, we could talk hours over that, over just kind of emergency medicine and what you know what draws people to what specialty. And I think to an extent, it's a little bit of you know personality traits that people have versus if you're you know a radiologist or a pediatrician or you know wanting to go to the OR or what, what have you. But uh, you know, I think emergency medicine. Uh, I just really enjoy kind of the excitement that kind of came from it. Uh, not, the not knowing was, was kind of interesting to me. Uh, going into a shift, you know, uh, being that it wasn't like a nine to five job and I was going to do, you know, the same gallbladders or look at the same types of x-rays and that sort of stuff. But really having that uh, opportunity to kind of see the, the breadth of medicine where, you know, in one room you've got a, uh, uh, you know, a 32 week pregnant woman having a complaint and then the next one you've got a, uh, a you know psychiatric need that you got to take care of so i think that was kind of what initially drew drew me to it uh love was emf i have a lot of respect for all the uh, first responders out there all the emps and paramedics firefighters and just uh being in that culture uh kind of drew me to it i think going you know i know we had talked a little bit before and just 
asking you know yourself what what type of medicine you want to go into. Emergency medicine is a really it's a team sport, or I guess not sport. It's, it's just kind of a tongue in cheek, but um, knowing you have to rely on your nurses and, and your paramedics and uh, everybody to kind of for resuscitation. It's truly really the team aspect, and I think that's what you know playing sports growing up, playing sports in college uh, is kind of it's just a seamless transition. And I assume uh, maybe playing sports throughout college and stuff like that um, possibly drew you to the military. And does that sound accurate or just or, uh, more deeper meaning to why you chose to join? Uh, it was it was in part. I actually, uh, my grandfather was a was a World War II vet many, many years ago. And um, just my, my family was always kind of supportive, uh, just kind of the military. You know, I, I remember playing with GI Joes and, a little stereotypical, you know, you want to go, go to the air show and look at the, all the fighter jets and that sort of thing. But there was just kind of this, um, it was hard to describe at first, this innate, uh, curiosity with the military and serving your country and what that meant. And I think, you know, now, um, in the capacity of a, of a, you know, soldier in a position, uh, being able to take care of the, I mean, I truly believe it's the greatest patient population. You know, our men and women who serve and their families who serve uh, alongside them and to, to help those on state side in garrison, uh, to help those in need and, you know, get back in the fight. And then specifically in the, you know, operational setting, the combat medicine is just incredible. Uh, I'm just truly thankful to just kind of, you know, be here and be in this kind of world. What would you say are kind of like the major differences in terms of uh, practicing as a physician in the military versus what your experience or understanding of it in the civilian sector and even more specifically emergency medicine in the Army? Sure, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, military medicine is such, a, such kind of a niche where you're balancing, in my viewpoint, only Army, so this may be somewhat different in the other branches in the service, but there's definitely a uh, commonality between all of the branches where you're not only dealing with your physician and you're being, you know, giving the best medical, you know, practices for our service members and their families and anyone that comes through the doors or in a, you know, deployed setting. Um, you have to balance that with also your military aspect. Now, you know, the role I'm in is with a four, you know, surgical team and you know, airborne uh, kind of capabilities. So, Balancing the, you know, keeping up to date and staying relevant and practicing good medicine. And then also like keeping your body in shape, you know, one, two times a month or I guess quarterly, like our team has to jump out of an airplane and like mentally preparing yourself for those, those moments and, um, taking care of, uh, your, your medics that kind of under you and kind of the day to day operations on the force comm unit. Cause I'm not, I'm not embedded, uh, in a hospital per se. So my, my team is actually, that's who I belong to, one of these surgical teams. So it's, it's a little unique. It's uh, got a lot of different um, aspects that a civilian, you know, physician goes, they, they, they pull their duties and then they kind of come home or they do have some academics. They don't have to deal with that kind of operational piece. So the team that you're on right now, what is that? Uh, I mean, for obvious reasons, we can't just, uh, dispel a lot of information about it, but what, what do those teams kind of consist of? What does that look like? Definitely happy to talk about that. Now, the kind of little bit of backstory and history of kind of all sphere forward medicine. Uh, early on, the, the, the FSTs were forward surgical teams, 
and they were composed of surgeons and nurses, CRNAs, uh, orthopedic and uh, general surgeons. And over the course of kind of the, the years of, you know, OIR and OAF and these, uh, combat uh, moments, the DOD and those, you know, incredibly intelligent people have decided that they need to stick an R in front of that T. So now it's an F, uh, FRSD is a forward resuscitative surgical team. And what has changed is the uh, R component is now an ER physician is now embedded in the team. So the kind of the ballpoint of what an FRSD does is we do damage control resuscitation. Uh, our job is life limb eyesight. Uh, we are able to push forward in a uh, various packages, if you will, um, and uh, we can um, perform various surgeries and operational components and, and support those in, in a combat setting. So in terms of the FRST model, um, it's you know, traditionally a, a 20-man package, uh, men and women, and they can be broken down into two separate echelons, and they can actually be broken down even further into what we call a ghost package, which is a uh, golden hour offset team. Um, and, uh, they, they're, they're very pretty versatile. And, and that's our, that's our job as a, a smaller footprint to offset the kind of the, the traditional quote unquote golden hour and kind of as the, you know, the, the data shows, uh, where extremity hemorrhage is the number one cause of, uh, preventable death on the battlefield time and time again. And, and, uh, better outcomes for soldiers and those injured in combat is to get them to, you know, an OR. Uh, or a medical professional uh, sooner than later. So these teams can get pushed further and further to kind of where the, the action is, if you will. That's kind of the, the breakdown. Uh, personnel in and of itself inv- includes, a, uh, now it's mirrored image, so uh, two of each one, but uh, ER physician, uh, general surgeon, whose niche is typically trauma, uh, but not necessarily trauma fellowship trained, uh, orthopedic surgeon, a CRNA, uh, 68 whiskey medic, uh, ER nurse, ICU nurse, and then LPN, and then a, uh, 18 Delta, or, excuse me, uh, 18 Bravo, uh, who can do, uh, the OR tech scrub test. That's, uh, it seems like a pretty interesting job. If one of us wanted to have that as their future goal, uh, what would you say are the things that we can do now? And as well as during residency to kind of gear ourselves towards such an operational role? I think that's the, uh, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, the best advice that I can give is to just kind of start giving your, uh, desires to other people early in terms of like what you, what your, your goals are professionally and medically. Uh, if you will, like just kind of keep, keep chirping, I guess. Um, so anytime you speak with someone in the community or, you know, when you get to your academic advisor in your medical, medical school, your SAM ops, uh, uh, president or, uh, your program director, you say, you know, I, you know, I'd like to do these operational jobs. I'd like to do these off your jobs. And then from there, um, a lot of it is somewhat word of mouth and then it just depends on, um, HRC and they can help you with availability, uh, cause there's only a select number of board surgical teams. And then from there, there are other uh, unique opportunities within the operational realm. And some of them are invite only and some of them are kind of word of mouth, but, um, the biggest thing is, you know, uh, being a, a competent physician and getting your medical skills to where they should be. 
continue to be healthy, especially if you want to be one of these airborne uh, units, because you still have to go to airborne school and pass those physical requirements, uh, and you know, being healthy that that aspect, and then just kind of uh, kind of advocating for yourself, and, it, and not not being, um, I guess there's the, the the term, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of thing, where mm-hmm. you just kind of keep, you know, not bludgeoning the 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 uh, the topic, but talking talking with those in higher who can advocate for yourself. Okay, uh, kind of walking those same lines is um, not only from an operational role, but you know, physicians are also military officers. Um, and with that, do you find that they're kind of in sync in, in terms of your roles as a uh, military officer and as a physician? Uh, how does that play out in your operational role? And do you find that they clash at all? I think they're synergistic to a to a standpoint, you know, especially with the force comm units. And as physicians kind of get uh, assigned to certain units, depending on your specialty, uh, they they can't be mutually exclusive. Because uh, I'm not I'm not assigned to a hospital per se. You know, I'm not embedded with a, a basis hospital. I'm embedded in my my team. And that was a kind of a, a transition out of residency where all he did was work in the hospital, pulling shifts, and you know, becoming an ER physician. And now graduate you come to um a force comm unit a conventional unit and now you're you know you're the officer in charge the oic of the atls section and then you've got medics who fall under you and you need to learn how to drive this humvee and get a humvee you know license and uh kind of the, the growing pains there where you're somewhat closer to the flagpole per se uh and you you have to learn you know, kind of the things where you have to do, you know, annual counseling with your with your commander and um, some of the things that necessarily weren't really uh, intuitive to being just a, a resident physician in the military. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were talking offline earlier about this, but what does the training look like for uh, an emergency medicine physician in uh, these forward resuscitative teams? Like before you would deploy or, uh, you know, some of the other training they do to kind of spin you up to be on these teams. Yeah. Behind the scenes, there's a lot that kind of goes on and it was, you know, going into these operational, uh, teams. I just, I didn't know that as a, as a resident, what actually took place to kind of spin teams up and get them ready for their different jobs and their different kind of assignments or roles. Um, so when you get on a, on a team, uh, for, for an ER position, ER position, you're typically involved. With uh, the resuscitative link, you know the FRSC, right? So uh, your job is to work in conjunction with the the surgeon, and you are doing the damage control resuscitation, uh, resuscitating the patients, things like that, getting your medics squared away, getting the the, you know, the ER nurses ready. The team of itself, uh, there's depending on the mission set and the uh, what do, you know what department they're a part of, whether Air Force, Army, Navy, because uh, each of them have different forward surgical assets. Um, there's a different kind of a road to war, if you will, where you're going to be involved in various personal trainups and then professional team trainups. So the personal trainups can include ATLS, advanced trauma life support, emergency war surgery course, EWSD, best course, which is the basic endovascular skills and trauma, uh, various cadaveric labs and uh, Roboa courses. Um, and then as teams, a lot of the teams will go to, you know, level one trauma centers throughout the nation and they will spend several weeks there, uh, and get spun up or, um, go to burn centers or things like that. 
kind of what's unique now going on is uh, there are these military partnerships where the the military is pushing surgical teams to be embedded in uh, uh, level one uh, trauma centers, civilian trauma centers, where the the staff, the military staff, actually becomes like adjunct faculty. Uh, there's already several uh, in place throughout the country that are up and running. They're kind of this is you know kind of hot off the presses over the last several years, where the first kind of train up teams are starting to get pushed out and do their operational jobs outside of the hospitals. But uh, it is kind of the niche and kind of the way forward, in my, my personal opinion, outside of you know military opinion, and that uh, a lot of these sort of things are going to be embedded into civilian trauma centers. That's kind of where they stay until they're needed to go deploy. That's kind of a, a radical idea because I, I know at one point they were kept kind of within military facilities, but then, um, you know, there's always kind of that concern about volume. If you're only, uh, the, if that hospital is only serving the base, then it's not that you won't have traumas that are going to roll in the door or anything like that, but the frequency at which it happens is certainly going to be a lot lower. And I think some people are a little worried about that when they're thinking about signing up for the military. And so I guess it's kind of good to hear that um, some changes are being made that are either thwarting those concerns or at least uh, ensuring that those skills are kept sharp before deployments, for sure. Within that same topic, I actually was curious. I know you talked about all of these trainings that you do. Do you find that you do a lot of training for your medics and nurses as a part of setting up for these teams? I'm glad you brought that up, Brian, because uh, that's something that, you know, is really kind of exciting and special about, you know, at least the team that I'm on. I have a, I'm part of an incredible team uh, where it really is a family dynamic where you've got 10-man teams, 20-man teams, and there's uh, kind of a cohesive unit. We really do kind of rely on each other when you're either, you know, in an operational setting or uh, just didactic setting, and you know, on base or in a classroom. Um, I do find that I, I do teach, you know, my medics and kind of teach those people around me and in the areas that I, you know, uh, consider, you know, subject matter expert of resuscitation and emergency care. Uh, but, you know, I think we, as a team, we, we bounce a lot of ideas off each other and, and uh, we do a lot of teaching amongst the team. So, you know, if we're in a classroom setting for several days or, or weeks, we'll have uh, the medics give a class, we'll have the, the OR tech, you know, teach everybody how to scrub in and there's a lot of cross training. The CRNA gives a event lecture, and the ICU nurse is doing prolonged field care. So it's not just uh, you know the physician you know top cover and then it goes down from there. It, it really is. You've got the you know the officers in charge of their individual sections, but we we got to hold each another uh, accountable for their kind of their piece and their role. And then we do that, like I said, that cross training. I think it's really valuable and that kind of supplement uh, kind of dry spells of time, if you will, with, um, you know, areas of, of actual medical training in a, a clinical setting. Gotcha. Because, you know, at least from my prior experience, that was one of the things that I always hoped for um, was that we would have our battalion surgeons, which is what we call them, right? Our battalion surgeon would be the one that would uh, give us a lot right. of hip pocket classes on like Fridays when, you know, an aid station closes down. Sure, so sure. I kind of wondered about that. <laughs> This is one of the things I was hoping I would be able to do is kind of get back to my my enlisted fellows that I used to be amongst. Brian, I think you just uh, you you answered the question perfectly. Where a lot of it also depends on the individual themselves and how uh, motivated they are to get you know to invest into their you know their medics and invest in the enlisted personnel. And 
a lot of them was personal investment in me. You know, I didn't know how to drive a Humvee and, you know, I didn't know what it took to go to airborne school and like all this, all this other stuff that, you know, the, the, the guys who had been there for a while, you know, and, and really helped me out too. So it's definitely uh, a give and take kind of relationship. I agree with that. I learned a lot. Of, it was because of my battalion surgeons that I'm probably in medical school right now. Just the amount of things that they taught me and got me excited about that I just didn't even have a clue was a part of medicine. Kind of speaking on that to some extent, uh, how do you find as an emergency medicine physician and the teams that you work with, like the 68 West whiskeys and whatnot, uh, what kind of mentorship do you feel you present or have mentorship relationships that uh, have developed? Do you have any stories about that or anecdotes? Sure. I, you know, because we're uh, kind of in austere environments and we don't necessarily always have the, the resources available to you if you're ever in a, that position or deployed or what have you, who kind of have that trust with your medicine. And they're almost uh, somewhat of an extension of, you know, your skill set per se, where the medics that fall under me, you know, I've, teach, I've taught them uh, fingers of orcosomies. I've taught them, you know, innovation, EJs, and some kind of moves that are a little beyond the typical scope of practice per se. But if a mass scale situation and there's only 10 people on the surgical team and I'm busy putting, you know, tapped out and you've got the medic here, they're outside helping, you know, the triage officer, I still feel confident and the medics on the team that they can do, you know, chest decompression, finger thoracostomies, and, and kind of these, you know, Rick Cathers. Your communication and development of those under you as a part of your leadership as an uh, Army physician, but also an Army officer, um, what has been your experience with that? It's been a, uh, a good experience. Uh, it's been kind of encouraging uh, to kind of see the, you know, motivation of those on the team. And, you know, your medics and, and nurses, and I think everybody, just by nature of being on this type of team, they, uh, uh, a lot of people are type A and they're, they're highly motivated and want to, you know, challenge themselves both, you know, academically and professionally, uh, where, you know, the medics will ask, you know, and I'm not, obviously I'm biased, right, for emergency medicine. I think it's an incredible, uh, option, uh, for, for medicine, but, you know, whatever, uh, the medic or whoever, if there's interested in, some sort of, of, of field, even dental or veterinary. I think I could, you know, speak for kind of anybody on the team, even you know, uh, upper enlisted to lower enlisted. That we're here for each other's, uh, you know, benefit, and we want to support each other. Whether it's like letters of recommendation or, or networking, uh, you know, I have got this kind of the saying. I think, uh, you know, we we have, we see further uh, only because we stand on the shoulders of giants. And I think Thomas Edison said it many, many, many years ago, but you know, there's a lot of people who invested in, in, in me over the years and, uh, uh, and I wouldn't be here without their support and their encouragement and their advice and their menteeship. So, you know, if I can kind of just pass that torch and, and anybody who wants to progress or whatever I can do to help them out, you know, uh, emotionally, spiritually, you know, physically, whatever, professionally, like if I can, I can do that, I will reach out. Uh, and do what I can. And I, that's a, that's a common theme against these, these small, you know, surgical teams. And my, you know, my lens is just of this kind of, of steel. I'm sure that's very similar to other types of military medicine uh, communities, but obviously I, I speak on this niche. So. Right. So lastly, kind of going back to very, very broad again, uh, to kind of wrap up our 
podcast here is um, what are some of the pitfalls we should avoid as future physicians and Army officers? So, Brian, that's a, that's a really good question. And I, I think it definitely deserves uh, some time to kind of reflect and some interpersonal kind of meditation and kind of seeking counsel from, you know, uh, others that you trust. I think that kind of the first thing that I've personally fallen into a trap and I think a lot of people in the medical field uh, fall into is they just lose sight of the process and they don't enjoy the process. You know, medicine is a, a very long path. It's a very difficult path. Uh, and it's easy to just bounce one thing from the next, you know, if I only I can get the step one score, if only I can do, uh, uh, you know, get to this residency and if I can get this dream job, you know, you kind of focus on them, you kind of lose focus of the people around you, uh, where, you know, that you lose sight of the, the you know, the forest when you just keep looking at the trees. You know, Brian, I, I commend you for this, this podcast. I think it's awesome where you, you know, step out and, and, uh, kind of enjoying this process and enjoying, uh, this, this moment, taking hold of this moment. It's kind of, the first thing, I guess the second thing I would say is, um, you know, don't, don't fear, uh, failure and, and seek out opportunities. Um, military medicine is an incredible field. Uh, it's very unique. Uh, and there's a tremendous amount of opportunities and a lot of it's what you make it, whether you're, you know, in a clinic or whether you're, you know, almost on target of operational type size and everything in between. Um, there's, there's tremendous, uh, opportunity. Uh, you know, and don't, and just don't be afraid. So put yourself out there. You know, uh, definitely advocate for yourself and your, your interests. Work hard. Uh, you know, things like, you know, if you want to go to airborne school, if you want to go to dive school, if you want to go to free fall school, you know, if you want to be quote unquote army or, or what have you, or you just want to be an incredible academic, uh, physician and work in residency programs or get fellowship trained, like that's all available to you. And, and I just recommend and, and advocate for people to just kind of uh, put themselves out there and, and go for those goals. Um, I guess the third thing for just emergency medicine is just don't anchor. <laughs> That's more of a clinical thing. Don't anchor on diagnoses as a ER physician. Keep things broad, especially in trauma, uh, where if you, you know, get tunnel vision, uh, people get hurt. So those are kind of the three things, I guess, uh, kind of coming to mind just right off the top of my head. Yeah, that's a fantastic set of advice. I really appreciate it. I think from here, we're kind of uh, short on our time at this point, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. And then um, we'll go ahead and share, I guess, for anybody else who's listening, if you want to follow uh, Dr. John Smith on Instagram, you can find him at The Resuscitationist. Um, he's got a lot of good information. I believe you're on Facebook as well, correct? I am on Facebook, yeah. I'm not as, as it's mostly just copy and paste from that. I'm not, a, I'm not the most technical savvy, Brian, but I'm trying here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not either, for sure. All right, so I appreciate having you on. Uh, thank you so much for your time and sharing your experiences with us, future military physicians. For those of you listening, if you have any recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, feel free to email samofficeducationchair at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>